Hello, and welcome to A Health Podacy. I'm your host, Alan Weil. Surprise medical bills have been in the news a lot lately. Surprise bills occur when a privately insured patient receives an unexpected bill from someone who's not in their insurance network. The surprise is that the person is responsible for the bill charges, even though their insurance may only pay a small share of those charges. Now, the federal No Surprises Act was signed into law by President Biden in the final days of 2020, and it eliminated the patient's liability for many surprise bills starting January 1st of this year, 2022. But that leaves an important question. If the patient isn't liable, how much does the insurance company pay for these out-of-network services? How the rules for setting out-of-network payment rates affect the prices providers charge is the topic of today's episode of A Health Podacy. I'm here with Eliza Gordon, Director of Research at Elevance, which until recently was known as Anthem. Ms. Gordon and co-authors published a paper in the September 2022 issue of Health Affairs, comparing trends in provider charges for surprise billing between two states, New York and California, which have different mechanisms for setting surprise bill payment levels, and they compared those two states to other states with no surprise billing protections. They found really big differences between New York York and California, which has important implications for implementation of this new federal law. We'll discuss these findings in today's episode. Ms. Gordon, welcome to the program. Thank you, Alan. It's so great to be here. It's nice to have you as my guest today. Your study is on a topic that probably everyone has heard about. Surprise billing is a kind of a catchy term. It actually occurs in fairly technical circumstances, particularly when it's not an emergency, which is the focus of your analysis. Can you just give a thumbnail of how a surprise bill can arise in a non-emergency setting? Sure. So if a patient has planned care and they go to an in-network hospital or potentially an in-network ambulatory surgical center, for example, and they might have even chosen an in-network surgeon um, to be their doctor. But while they're having their care, they also see other providers, so a radiologist or an anesthesiologist or even an assistant surgeon may provide care during their episode. And if those providers are out of network, then the surprise bill may arise, where in the absence of patient protections, they can balance bill um, up to their charges. And those charges can be quite a lot more than what the insurance will pay for. The new Federal No Surprises Act followed on the heels of some states that had adopted various provisions designed to protect patients in exactly the scenario that you describe. And as I noted in the introduction, that protects the patient, but it leaves this big question, which is you've got a provider who has provided services and you have a patient with insurance. They're not in network, so they haven't agreed to accept the payment rate that the insurance company may have negotiated with in-network providers. How much should the provider get paid? And that leads to these arbitration processes, which I know can vary a fair amount. But can you explain to me sort of where does arbitration fit into this process of figuring out what to pay? Arbitration, it will vary depending on the state and the law. So some states actually have what we would call a payment standard. So they just have a formula to determine the payment. So for example, 
California, which we'll talk about, they choose the higher amount of 125% of the Medicare rate or the median in-network rate in their area. And I'm going to I'm going to just slow you down because those go by really fast. And you talk about benchmarks. So let's think about this. So the, the first is 125% of Medicare. Medicare has a fee schedule. So you know exactly what Medicare would have paid for that service. You multiply that by 1.25 and boom, that's your payment. And what was the other one? The median in-network rate. So say a little bit about how that's calculated. Because again, that just sounds so simple, but there's actually a lot that goes into that. Sure. So um, when you take a look at the claims and um, the negotiations between the providers and the insurers. So in-network is when they have a negotiated rate that they agree upon, and that rate will, you know, that's specific to the certain procedure that they're doing. So you take a look across all providers in the network, and then you take a look at, you know, what is the middle amount that uh, providers are receiving for that service when they're in-network. And so if I were just to from the outside, I would say Medicare is a rate-setting system, and that's the number, it's the number. The in-network median is sort of a market. It's set, if you will, by a market. Yes. It's a negotiated, it's the result of lots of negotiations between providers and insurers. So whatever flaws there may be in how that market functions, at the end of the day, this is not a rate set by the government. It's a rate negotiated by two private parties that are on opposite sides of the table. Exactly. Okay. So I interrupted you, but I think um, those are, those are, uh, well, anyway, you, you take it from there. Those are two data points used in California. That's right. So, um, so other states, some of them use variations on this uh, payment standard. And then a number of states use an arbitration system. So if the the first step would be for the provider and the insurer to try to come to a settlement uh, through open negotiations. And if that fails, kind of as a last resort, they can go to an independent dispute resolution entity for arbitration. And the provider and the payer would both submit a bid and the arbitrator picks between one of those two bids and that would be the final payment amount. The No Surprises Act also uses an arbitration system. Depending on the state law or No Surprises Act, different factors can be considered in that arbitration. So in New York, for example, and the other state that we go to in detail in the paper, um, provider charges, and particularly a benchmark for the 80th percentile of provider charges in the area, which is um, provided in the Fair Health database, is used as an anchor in arbitration. So the arbitrators see that 80th percentile charges number, and um, previous research has shown that the payments that come out of that arbitration tend to be close to that 80th percentile of charges. In the No Surprises Act, arbitration is actually, they're forbidden to use charges um, as a consideration. They're also forbidden to use um, Medicare or Medicaid or you know, public um, payment rates. What they can use and, and what they're directed to use as a first look, like the uh, primary anchoring, is the in-network um, median. And then after that, they can consider other factors once again, provider-related factors, patient-related factors, et cetera. 
based on that information, the arbitrator picks between the insurer's bid and the provider's bid. And again, just to sort of step back, the, the charges are not a negotiated number. Those are set by the provider. So the difference between a process that uses setting aside Medicare, a process that brings in an in-network number is a number that at least, again, as we discussed, sort of comes out of a negotiated process. The charges are what the provider chooses to charge, and there are no direct limitations on that. We can talk about whether there's a market around those. But that's sort of the the fundamental difference. So before I let you take a, a quick break to get a glass of water, let me ask. You look at New York, which brings in these charges. You look at California, which doesn't. And what do you find? We find that um, compared with this group of seven states that did not have surprise billing laws in our study period, uh, we see that out-of-network charges during these surprise bill scenarios, during non-emergency hospitalizations, um, the charges decreased by about 25% in California, but those out-of-network charges increased by about 24% in New York. Uh, We took a little closer look by specialty and found that in New York, assistant surgeons and surgical assistants, which we lumped together for this analysis, um, had a very large increase in their charges and actually 43% increase in charges in New York compared with other states. We think that might be driving some of the overall increase. You're seeing big divergence between a state that allows charges into the calculation and one that doesn't. I want to understand what the implications are of that for implementation of the federal law and for the prices we're all going to pay. Um, We'll talk about some of those topics after we take a short break. And we're back. I'm speaking with Aliza Gordon about state surprise billing laws, the difference between what happened in New York and California, which had two different ways of bringing factors into arbitration over what uh, clinicians would get paid uh, when there was a surprise bill. Before the break, you told us about this significant difference between the increase in charges in New York and the decrease in California. Now, let's just make sure before we get into implications that we understand what this is. So because both of these states had provisions to protect the patient, this gap that you describe in a surprise billing situation didn't actually have any implications for the immediate cost to the patient. Is that right? That's correct. The patient is not um, paying anything beyond what they would have paid if it were in network. But we're seeing an increase in charges in New York, and we're experiencing an arbitration system that tends to peg payment amounts to the, as you say, the 80th percentile of charges. So if charges are going up, presumably the 80th percentile of charges is going up, and that means that insurance companies are paying more in these surprise scenarios over time in a state that allows the charges to be a factor in the arbitration. Is that the right understanding? Yes. And why should I care? Uh, Most people (laughs) hate their insurance company. Right. Well, the insurance company is paying for that bill. 
Um, but over time, as the cost of care increases, either from this or really for any reason, those costs do get passed along to consumers in the form of higher premiums. So um, as insurance is paying more, so are the rest of us for our care. So this has an effect on uh, on premiums. And, and you know, in healthcare, we often hear people say, oh, no one pays bill charges. That, that number is just sort of a made up number. It sits on a spreadsheet somewhere, but everything is negotiated. Um, is that really true? Um, I'd say that that is typically true when, number one, uh, a patient is insured, and number two, the patient is seeing a provider who's in their network. So, you know, for example, you get an explanation of benefits after you have a doctor's visit or a test. On that, you might see the charges that were billed, and then you'll see an allowed amount, which is what the provider and the insurer agreed upon. That's the payment that they actually receive, and that can be a lot lower than the charged amount. But that's different when the care is out of network. Um, If I choose to see an out of network specialist, for example, I know that I'm going to be responsible for the amount um, up to the charges that's not paid by the insurer. So if they charge $300, the insurer says, we're doing 100, they can bill me for $200 when this is once again, my choice to see that provider. For surprise billing scenarios, it was not my choice. I did not intentionally see this out of network provider. So in theory, the charge shouldn't matter either um, because that's not the the amount that's going to be paid. But in places where, uh, in states where charges are used as part of the arbitration process to decide on the provider's payment, then it could make a difference. So if the provider charges a higher amount, first they might um, be able to get a higher amount from the insurer who maybe doesn't want to go to arbitration, they'll just say, okay, we'll just pay a little bit more. And then if it does go to arbitration, if the provider expects that they might be able to get an amount that's close to the 80th percentile of charges, if they charge more, um, they could probably get more in this scenario. So that's why charges do matter under the scenario where um, the state uses charges as a factor in arbitration for surprise billing. So that makes a lot of sense. And of course, there are people without insurance who get charged charges, and there are various ways to maybe sometimes negotiate against those. But but what you're saying, if I just sort of uh, strip away all of this, is that it's, it's inflationary. It, if you have a mechanism that brings in charges to the process, and then that becomes a dominant factor in the results of arbitration. There are incentives for providers to increase their charges, and they do. And in so doing, they increase what they get paid, and the cycle sort of continues. And someone's got to pay for it. And as you note, uh, it gets built into insurance premiums. So let's layer on top the Federal No Surprises Act. Um, it, I, I'm not going to ask you to f- describe it in full detail, but let's think about this factor of provider charges. Where do those fit? You alluded to this earlier, but let's focus here for a moment. Where do provider charges fit in the No Surprises Act? They're prohibited by, to be used in arbitration by the No Surprises Act. However, the No Surprises Act does allow states to continue to use their current systems if they have them. So um, states that have laws in place and processes in place may choose to continue what they're doing already. But um, for new cases that are um, going under the No Surprises Act, charges will not be used. 
And presumably that's sort of a lesson from the literature that you described even before your paper, which was that there was this understanding that, that uh, the results of arbitration often do hinge on charges, which probably has some negative effects, which you show in your paper. Yes. So there was um, a Brookings uh, report that saw that in New York, that uh, the charges, you know, slightly above 80 percentile of charges were often around where the arbitration landed. And um, my co-author, Professor Ben Chartok, recently published a different paper in Health Affairs looking at New Jersey. And they found that uh, in New Jersey, the the results of arbitration were also around 80th percentile of charges, which was almost six times the median in-network rate. So much, much higher than negotiated prices in-network. Um, and then our paper adds to that, as you said, if they're already being paid close to these high charges and then charges are rising, that payment will get higher and higher. So is the implication of your work in conjunction with these others that you've cited that basically states that are bringing charges into the arbitration process probably should stop and let the federal regime either take over entirely or at least modify the state regime so it it is it conforms to what the federal law says is the better way to approach this Yes, and they don't necessarily have to use the federal approach either, but I think that our paper, and once again in combination with other studies, show that charges is probably not a good metric to be used. So, And if it's used, at least it shouldn't really anchor on that. Um, that should be potentially one consideration, if at all. I would probably suggest that that's not a consideration, and, and once again, the federal law does not allow it to be used. Um, but other states that are using charges may want to consider either, you know, amending their laws to remove that as a consideration or at least downplaying it in their process. So as we come to a close, let me ask, obviously, uh, when you started this work, we didn't have the federal provisions in place. Um, as you look at the rollout of the New Surprises Act uh, in your research role, what kind of questions, new questions emerge and would you want to focus on and try to answer now that we have a federal overlay when before it was just a handful of states that were kind of doing their own thing? Absolutely. So we are interested in seeing how the No Surprises Act plays out. I think one piece is to look at arbitration and, and see do the results of that, do the payments that come from arbitration, um, are they approximately at the median in-network rate or are they varying a lot? Um, Kind of how much are those? Uh, And then I think another important step to look at the bigger picture of provider networks and negotiations and how the laws could affect that. So I can explain a little. The networks could be affected by different state laws or the federal laws. For example, in New York, if charges are increasing and out-of-network providers are getting a lot of money from their services, in-network providers may decide they want to leave the network so they can get paid like the out-of-network providers are. 
Um, of course, that payment amount isn't the only factor going into whether or not they want to be in network. Of course, providers will get, usually will get more patients if they're in network. Uh, patients want to see in network providers. But in cases, if the provider is mostly working at a hospital that's in network, that may not be as big of a consideration. So we want to see, um, are these laws incentivizing providers from leaving the networks, which could lead to more of these surpriseful situations. The same thing can happen under the No Surprises Act, where if the providers are out-of-network providers are getting approximately the um, median in-network rate, providers who are in-network but getting less than that, because half of them are getting less than that rate, um, those providers might say, hey, if I drop out of the network, I can get the median in-network rate, and that will cause the, the median in-network rate to increase as the lower-cost providers are leaving the network. So I think that that's an important potential unintended consequence of the law. So we want to make sure that, um, or to see if if provider networks are changing or um, getting smaller, you know, due to these laws. I'm really glad you brought that up because we focused thus far exclusively on prices. It does seem to me that it can work both ways, right? That if you're closing the gap between the out of network surprise amount that you get and the in-network median, that some providers may decide, I want the benefit of being in-network, I'll get more patients, as you noted, and my payment rates will not go down as much because I can't get away with having as high charges as I used to be able to do when I could surprise people with them. So in theory, you you could actually have changes in either direction. You could have yes. shrinkage or expansion of networks. And, uh, and, and both of those would be important results to be aware of. Yes, yes. So we'd like to, uh, as the law plays out, take a look at that. Well, Ms. Gordon, thank you so much for doing the research, for explaining a complicated topic and an even more complicated subpart of a complicated topic uh, for the contribution of this work to our understanding of a subject that touches, as we know, many people, fewer now that there's a federal law. And thank you so much for being my guest on A Health Policy. Thank you. And before we leave, I do want to thank my co-authors, uh, Drs. Ying Lu and Winnie Chi from Elevance Health and Professor Ben Chartok. Um, and this was a collaborative effort. And thank you so much for inviting me to speak today. It was really my pleasure. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode, I hope you'll tell a friend about A Health Policy.